My name is William Chernoff, and today on the Rhythm Changes podcast, I took your questions. This audio is an ask me anything that I did as an artist for my Bandcamp customers in the month of May 2021. And reading out the questions that they sent me is Victoria Cowan, who is one of my closest colleagues. She is the editor of Rhythm Changes. And this kind of conversation about these kinds of topics is something we have multiple times a week. So I hope you enjoy the questions and the insight into my day-to-day working life. So how are you doing? Cool. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Had a nice morning. Took a little pupper for a walk um, in the hill, Victoria Hill, uh, and just enjoyed all the beautiful flowers that we have in New West right now. All the rhododendrons and stuff like that. And yeah, looking forward to to asking you some of these questions. Uh, but how are you doing today, Will? What, what have you been up to so far? I haven't been doing very much. I haven't been outside in New West yet today either, but we're doing an Ask Me Anything here. We're doing the first one that I've done so far and you're helping me. Uh, What we did Mm -hmm. to set it up was pretty quick, actually. I sent out a message only to Bandcamp customers. So everybody who submitted a question has bought something from me on Bandcamp, which is really sweet. Thank you, everybody. And thanks for sending in all those questions. Um, They had the weekend to get the questions in. And then it's Wednesday morning today, Wednesday, May 5th, and we're just going to rattle them off and we're going to post this video to start the AMA train. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see what you have all come up with here. Yeah, I think there's a good diversity of questions here. And um, I respected anyone's request for anonymity that was specified. Otherwise, I will guess... I will just use names because <laughs> um, I think some people wanted to be identified. So I think that's kind of sweet. Um, nice. So let's just get started. Well, I'm just going to read them in the order that I received them. Uh, so, okay. First one here. This one's coming from Wade on Galliano. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So Wade is asking, Will, what do you like most about the music industry today industry was Uh, in air quotes (laughs) that's a good question it actually jives with something that i read today um i like to read stratechery by ben thompson and ben was talking about a couple of things today that are related to exactly this and i appreciated it because it was an optimistic take like i think a lot of music industry commentary these days is quite scathing sometimes like there's some scathing political economic critique driving a lot of people's thoughts about the music industry right now and that that gets framed in a bunch of different ways and a lot of it is correct a lot of it has a lot to say but it's a certain mood right you don't want to just consume that stuff and then there's like the rebuttal to that but sometimes the rebuttal to that isn't great either because it just ends up being like vapid numbers driven influencer crap that's like how to get your first 1000 youtube subscribers step by step and so it's like there's this spectrum of like self quasi self-help numerically driven music business advice delivered in like a manic speaking style by like a really enthusiastic presenter who's almost like a webinar sales guru type on one end and then on the other type is like the other end is like really smart um, but really scathing political economic critique. 
And I like the opportunity to not do either of those things because we don't have to fit in to either of those sides. We can pick our own spot on that spectrum, right? So what, what Ben Thompson was talking about today was there's this whole thing about how Spotify is opening up its platform for paid podcasts to distribute through Spotify. Now, there's this whole backstory about how Spotify kind of wants its own copy of your podcast that's separate from all the other places that your podcast goes to when you host it. Um, but Spotify is rolling out the ability for podcasters to charge paid subscriptions in Spotify for their podcasts. And at the same time, they are opening it up beyond that gatekeeping method of taking their own copy of your podcast. So like if you and I had a paid podcast, Victoria, we could host it and it would go to all the podcast places like Apple Podcasts, etc. Um, we could also opt that into Spotify so that if somebody paid for our podcast, whether it's through Patreon or our own site or whatever, they could add that feed to their Spotify account and they could listen to it in Spotify. Whereas that wouldn't be possible today. If you have a paid podcast today, uh, it, you can't have it on Spotify for your paying customers because they want to gatekeep. You know what I mean? It seems like an interesting shift, an interesting opportunity, right? Yeah. Like you could just access it with the rest of your your library. I think yeah. that might make things more accessible as opposed to less accessible, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it does make it more accessible. And that's that's the thing that's on my mind today that I like about the music industry is that there was this era of like the the all-encompassing, all-aggregating platform where like you had to play the rules of the platform to get your audience. Like you had to play Facebook's game or play Instagram's game or play YouTube's game. And YouTube kind of was your overlord when you were doing all that stuff. They were kind of your gatekeeper. And it, what I like is that now that dam is just about to break. It hasn't quite happened yet, but it's going to happen in the next couple of years where the the needs of the person making the podcast or the album, et cetera, like the needs of the actual artist are becoming more valuable on the market. And there's more opportunities for each artist to distribute their stuff on their own terms to all the big platforms instead of having to play by the big platforms rules to get on them. Well, I certainly hope that's the case. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally all in on it. So, I mean, I really hope it is too, because that's a lot of what I'm working on is really predicated on that. But <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I really see that happening. And it's, uh, it's a way that people will, will finally be able to make sense of how they can do what they want. Because right now, if yeah. you want to do your own thing, unless you really stay on the, on the edge of this wave that's coming through the industry right now, you you won't know how you can do it. Like you won't see like a path in front mm -hmm. of you that makes sense. There isn't a path laid out for how you can actually take your thing and find your audience. But that'll come as as the 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 creators themselves get the respect that they're due and the platforms meet us halfway. Ooh, I love that. And that's definitely gonna feed into some of the questions that come up later too. So I'm looking forward to hearing your answers to those. Um, let's take a little trip now down memory lane with our next question. This one's coming from Mary from New Westminster. <laughs> it's great to have the, the support of your immediate family members, which is really important when you're 
when you're a creator, when you're a musician. Uh, so Mary's asking here, Will, when did you first consider yourself a musician? And when did you start calling yourself a musician? Maybe those are the same things. Maybe they're separate events. So tell us about that. It's the same thing. I would say that I considered it as soon as I did it for pay. Um, and that came not long after I started doing it, period. So I actually stuck this date in my first ever Rhythm Changes uh, article. And the mm -hmm. anniversary of it is actually coming up. It's uh, it's the 10-year anniversary of it. Um, and I still have this. This is like my oldest receipt that I have. It's the first time I ever worked for pay for anything in my entire life. Um, <laughs> and it was in May. I don't remember the exact date. It's in the article, but it was in May 2011. So this month is the 10-year month anniversary. Um, I played a, a gig for the city of, uh, of New Westminster with a bunch of my New Westminster Secondary School classmates in a band of students that was organized by Steve Clements, our band teacher. By the way, we're recording this on May 5th, so happy birthday to my mom who's asking this question. Today is her birthday. Oh. Happy birthday. And yesterday was Steve's birthday. So happy birthday, Steve. Uh, Yay, very, very timely. Birthday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So when we did that gig, uh, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but it was some sort of situation where we were looking for opportunities to play and Steve knew that we were looking for those opportunities. And so he would hunt them down for us kind of in the local community and pitch that he had these talented students um, who were looking for places to play. And I guess the city was one of those people who met us on that and had some kind of event and they had us playing at the opening and closing of the event or in the background. I don't remember what it was. If anybody who played with me or who was there remembers what it was for some reason, please tell me, but I, I don't even have that level of information. But what I do know because I have my uh, receipt for it, was I got paid $30 to play this game. <laughs> so that was uh, that was the first time I, I did music for pay. I was 16 years old uh, in May 2011. And it wasn't necessarily that doing that made me go like, okay, now I can call myself a musician. But it was just that was the time when that was starting to happen because I was starting to play uh, informal gigs where I had written some jazz tunes and my friends were playing them. I was rehearsing all the time and like my whole life was starting to really become about music. So I would say that year 2011, which we're hitting the 10 year anniversary of is when I started to call myself a musician. And before then I was ramping up to it and I might've said that as well, but like I knew it, I knew it that year and I've known it in all the years since for sure. I love that. So you don't have to get paid hundreds of dollars to consider yourself an artist or a musician. You can get paid 30 bucks and maybe get a free can of pop. And like, there you go. Just call yourself what you're going to be. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's so true because like, you know, you don't know how quickly something can take off. Like, especially today, like if that's you today, if you're 16 years old today and you're getting paid $30 to play a gig, you, you have no idea. Like you could do six of those and the sixth one could have like some moment of it captured on video that becomes very popular and the next thing you do you could end up collecting thousands of listeners somewhere right like it could just go somewhere and and you you, you can't even really predict how quickly that can happen now so really like 
if you if you start considering yourself uh, a musician or an artist right from those earliest things, that's just like part of being ready for like whatever good yeah. stuff could be coming down the pipe for you. Cool. Thanks, Will. Um, I have another question here from Mary. Uh, another two, actually, but here's the second one. So this will be interesting. I think I know what this is, but I, I'm still curious. Mary's asking, what is your favorite instrument to play and why? My favorite instrument to play is uh, acoustic guitar. And my favorite what? situation to play it in is uh, trad music, Irish and Celtic influence music irish scottish tunes the the things that i've learned from my friend kieran and from claude and the nsce community and from gabrielle if i'm just thinking about my experience playing my experience as a musician as an instrumentalist the most pure fun i've had on my instrument has been when when i've been playing those kind of like acoustic guitar trad music gigs wow i've totally been bamboozled because what i'm staring at right now i see not not one bass, but two basses. <laughs> so totally hoodwinked. I love that acoustic guitar. You'll have to play acoustic for us in, in Mary's backyard around the bonfire sometime this summer. Oh, there's, cool. there's going to be, there's going to be stuff happening there for sure. It's, it's more for regarding the bass and, and how that relates to the acoustic guitar. That's just pure meeting opportunities right like i have a hundred times more opportunities or i have had over the years a hundred times more opportunities to work with people and play with people if i'm playing bass than if i'm playing acoustic guitar mostly because so many of my best friends have always been guitarists so if you think about people like my friends parker woods or julian jaime or madeline elkins jay uh on and on and on guitarists so many amazing guitarists right those are the people who i was getting opportunities to work with. So there's no there's no spot for me to play guitar, right? But then on the rare chance that I have had it, in terms of pure playing experience, those have been the most fun for me as a musician. Neat. Thanks for that, Will. It, it's interesting that sometimes what you end up becoming known for is not necessarily like what's the most pure fun as you've described it, but purely based on like what opportunities are available, you know? So maybe that's a good lesson for artists to, if they're looking for more opportunities to gig and to jam with others, sometimes it's not coming in with a pre-established idea of what that's going to look like is being open to, you know, where you can hop in and contribute. And I know you're someone that really loves supporting others and supporting the musicians around you. So it's not like you'd be coveting the spotlight necessarily. <laughs> so bass is, is totally fine in that respect. Yeah, and I mean, piano is kind of like that for me too. Like, piano is in a, a is kind of triangulated from my experience on the acoustic guitar and on the bass. Like, the bass is like maximum opportunities I've had so far over the last ten years. Not always maximum enjoyment, but ultimately, it's the most good comes out of it because I get the most opportunities. Acoustic guitar is like maximum play and enjoyment and rare opportunities. And piano is like I'm not very good at it, but I do my opportunities do increase by playing a little bit of piano. So it's like, there's a, there's a, there's potential there on the piano side where like, if I get better at piano over the years, I think that one could really take off. Maybe that'll become my favorite. Cool. Thanks. That's great. Uh, and then our last one from Mary here, if you could have a one-on-one -on -one visit or meeting 
with a music great, past or present, who would that be? Yeah, I definitely would open this up to being beyond just the musicians themselves, if that's permitted. I definitely have some answers for people who are musicians, but maybe some of my favorite people would be um, filling other roles in the business. Um, There are some definitely jazz musicians who uh, I would have loved to meet who have since passed. There's some people who are alive today who I could fit into that but that was that was what I thought about a lot when I was uh, a high school student was any opportunity I had to see an old jazz musician of like the bebop jazz generation. So jazz musicians who were born in like the 1920s or the early 30s, like I would try my best to never miss those because those were mm-hmm. like the rarest thing. And so one of the wow. best ones was like this saxophone player named George Coleman, who's a legendary jazz musician who's come to Vancouver several times. When Corey Weeds was running the cellar, he booked George Coleman to play there a couple times, and I never missed those. That's for sure. Um, there was a very memorable concert for my generation out of New West that was uh, Wayne Shorter, another absolute jazz icon, performing at the Vancouver Jazz Festival in I think 2010. Uh, and many, many of my friends and I went to that one, and that was probably the best jazz concert I've ever seen or like the most influential one for me because Wayne Shorter is just such a creative force and at that time he would have been I don't know 70s or 80s in age so and and he was still like the most vital kind of creative spirit in jazz that I'd ever heard and it was like one of the most moving kind of concerts of improvised music that I've ever seen and I know some of my other friends feel the same way when we saw that when we were teenagers um, so I've already seen them. So like who's who's <laughs> left in jazz that fits that description? Uh, it would absolutely, for me, it would be Sonny Rollins, another Ooh. saxophone player. There you go. Uh, but Sonny Rollins, just an absolute <laughs> jazz legend. He's probably 90 now. Um, I've never seen him. Uh, I think some of my friends have maybe in Vancouver. Maybe he came in the late 2000s. And I didn't quite catch it. But Sonny Rollins, just a massive influence on me. First jazz CD I ever had was given to me by my dad, and it was an album by Sonny Rollins. Uh, oh, and wow. many of his tunes are very popular and get played a lot, especially by people who are learning the music. Um, yeah, he's he's just such an icon. And if I could pick any jazz musician whom I haven't met yet who's still alive, uh, totally it would be him for me all, all the way down. So, so Sonny Rollins is definitely my answer for the musician side and then if i think about the broader business then it gets more interesting because there's there's so many uh answers that that you could give um but so i'm kind of riffing now when i'm thinking about who that would be necessarily because i've got a lot of answers but it for for people who aren't strictly musicians i think my answer right now would be sherry who who's the writer and journalist who runs Water and Music, which is mm, um, a yeah. Patreon blog, a for-pay uh, newsletter, uh, like a publication where there's guest writers who come in, uh, a Discord uh, channel where they chat and have guests from the music industry. I just think she is the leading voice in analysis of the contemporary music industry. 
today and always just makes it so fun and accessible, but also just brings such serious knowledge and stays mm -hmm. super up to date. Like, um, she's leading the way on, on her own research about like the, the music NFT market, like whatever you think of that, like she is the person who's out there putting in like the most and best effort to, uh, to reveal that information and to track it for everybody else. And everybody's following her lead on that. So I, I have so much respect for, uh, Sherry. Uh, I consider her right up there with like a lot of my other favorite writers whom I follow, like Ben Thompson or anybody else. And, uh, if I'm sure that's not far off, like if I, if I participate more in, in Sherry's community, uh, I'm going to have the chance to, to talk to her at some point for sure. As far as like an actual sit down, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how much time she would have for that, but I would aspire to have that someday. So there's my two answers for musician. I would say Sonny Rollins and for anybody in the industry, I would say Sherry. Oh, well, I definitely hope you get to interview Sherry. I, I totally see that happening at some point. So that's great. Um, now, speaking of Steve Clements, uh, this one's coming from a fan named Steve O, like water. Uh, Will, he asks, what is your favorite Stevie Wonder tune? Also, please walk me through why you believe Spotify is a good thing again, as I just don't get it. Okay. Yeah. Another, <laughs> another birthday questioner. So it's, it's good that they're getting theirs out early. Yeah. So my favorite Stevie Wonder tune, um, that's a tough one. I know what your favorite Stevie Wonder tune is, Steve, or at least I've, I've heard it once upon a time. Maybe it's changed, but I've, I've heard that yours is Big Brother, which I think is a great one. Um, it would probably be in my top five or 10, but I'll try and come up with a top three. Um, and some of them might be a little what the kids would call basic because uh, I really do think that some of Stevie's best tunes are some of his hits. So I'm not going to go off and find a lot of deep cuts here, I don't think. But my number one, it has to be for once in my life. Uh, and the reason why I choose that one is because it's so happy and it just sums up what he means to me and what his mood means to me. And it, of all the amazing bass parts that are in Stevie tunes, I think that one is the best, is the most fun. So the, the bass playing on, on For Once in My Life by James Jamerson, the legendary Motown bassist. I think it's him. If it's not him, it's like Bob Babbitt or one of those other bass players. But the, the bass part on, on For Once in My Life is just, is just the best of the best in terms of Stevie's catalog. And it's such a happy tune. So I definitely got to put that one at the top. Um, the second spot, I'm going to say that it is actually, a, and you're going to like this one, I'm going to say that it's the tune called Too High. And I had actually never really listened to that one before you introduced it to me through our jazz band when, when I was a high school student there. And what I like about that one is it's not as like, it's not like I just called to say I love you or it's not like one of his pop hits or pop tunes. It's more psychedelic and it's more trippy but it's also super catchy and super funky. So it's it, like for once in my life is one of those like really kind of earnest lovey dovey. Isn't she lovely? I just called to say, I love you kind of pop tunes in Stevie's catalog. But then there's like the, the more kind of interesting side where there's stuff like uh, living for the city or whatever else. And uh, too high is just a, that's as deep as I'll go on the deep cuts. It's, it's one of the most trippy and fun, funky 
tunes from from my musician's perspective for for Stevie. And then for the third one, I just I have to say Superstition, even though it's like one of the best known. Um, I just think it's so unreal that Stevie played such groovy drums on that track. Like he played, and there's other there's other um, tracks in his catalog where he did this too. But like on Superstition, Stevie Wonder's basically playing all the instruments. He's just multi-tracking himself. It's like not even a a band for the most part. And just like his feel on the drums in Superstition just is so amazing. Like you can't replicate that with a metronome or by moving stuff around in the studio or, and it would be really hard to replicate it with a band. That's just like one person's internal groove just shining through, you know, and Superstition always did it for me for that reason. Regardless, I will say that my favorite Stevie Wonder tune is for once in my life. So that's Stevie Wonder. The other question is about Spotify, right? What was it? Was it why why is Spotify good? Why do I think Spotify is good? Yeah. Why you think Spotify is a good thing? Because he just doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't get it either, to be fair. But the reason why I think it's good is because some people do get it and, and it works for them. And there's no one size fits all. Um, the the only way that a bunch of people like me are are going to find careers eventually is if we have the maximum number of options available to us. And I don't think these options are necessarily all zero sum. So those of my friends who are artists in certain genres that where streaming is just major and and they're doing really well, uh, I totally respect that. I'm not going to walk up to one of my friends like Tion Gibbs or other Vancouver artists like Manila Gray or So Loki or even Said the Whale or down like the the kind of mid to high tier Canadian indie artists. I'm not going to walk up to them and say, or like a younger group like Days or May. I'm not going to go up to them and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop getting hundreds of thousands of streams for your stuff and go go sell it on Bandcamp. Like that, that wouldn't be a good use of the energy that we all want to channel towards making a better industry that builds careers for us. Like they have decided for whatever reason that this strategy of being on the biggest platform and just aiming for pure listeners, they've decided that that's working for them and that they want to run with that. And so if, if Spotify is part of what enables them to do what they think is good, then I like it. You know, I don't want to rip that option away from those people, uh, even though I don't get it either. And I'm not really interested in playing that game. Like, I, I don't know how long I'll keep most of my catalog up there for for to be honest. So uh, just because it's not it's not it's not fitting with what I'm trying to to build. It doesn't like it doesn't let me get to know anybody who listens to me on there. Like, I don't see a clear path from getting more listeners on Spotify to actually connecting with those people. So, and that's everything for me. And it probably is for a lot of people who think like you and I do Steve. So that's, that's why we don't get it. Um, and I will admit that when it feels like those big streaming platforms are sucking up all the oxygen in the room, that does really suck. And that is part of what lies behind the question here. Uh, I just, I just keep telling myself, I have to have faith that it, it will all add up to something positive sum and, and it doesn't 
destroy what we're doing, that there's a big platform out there. There are still people who will want to do it our way. And everybody needs their own way to try and try and process it. But I know I, I recognize that we have these times where it feels like Spotify is taking energy away from from what we're doing and is dominating the conversation. That's really tough. But I'm I'm out here trying to do it my own way regardless. Uh, and a lot of people are and and that it, it is what yeah. it is. So that's a to be continued. We'll see how it evolves over the next several years. Thanks for that, Will. Okay. From Anonymous. What's the strangest experience you've had as a result of being a musician that otherwise probably would never have happened to you? Let's say, had you been working some regular schmo job at a grocery store. So that's an interesting one from Anonymous. I guess my first reaction to that is I don't really know because I haven't really done that. Like, this is kind of the only thing I've really done. I mean, that's that's not entirely true because I have had some day jobs, uh, especially to help me get a project off the ground, like to get some cash flow so that I can start something like Early Spirit. What's the what's what's an experience that I've had as a musician that I that I wouldn't have otherwise had? Um, this so this is a good one. I I think one of my favorite ones, and this this is kind of a repeat experience that that I keep having every so often and I really enjoy it every time I do. Um, and it's, it's pretty similar each time I have this interaction, but if there's a situation where I'm with a colleague or somebody I don't know as well, or even somebody that I've struck up a random conversation with in like a public space, or if I'm at a party or an event or anything like that. And if there's, if there's music playing or if somebody else references a song, I often feel really lucky that I have the opportunity to like share some interesting piece of information about that music or about that song. And I like to think that I do it in a way that comes across as, oh, I just want to open, open up the mind here and like, just think about something that's curious or interesting. I don't ever try and do it just to like prove my own knowledge or prove a point or anything like that. I don't have an agenda, but I'll look for these chances where like, if there's, if there's music playing in a store or if I'm at a party and there's music playing or something, and if it, if somebody mentions it, like anything I know that is that is fun or interesting about that artist or about that song, I'll bring it up. I'll throw it in there. I'll sprinkle in a little factoid or something. Or if I don't know anything, I'll be like, who is it? Or something like that. Like it's the opportunity to like use the music as a smart conversation starter. And there's some really good little chats or or even deep conversations that end up coming out of that. Because like everybody everybody has these kind of opinions. Right. And I love the opportunity to just like, if I see, if I see that that could happen, I want to unlock it. I want to, I want to make that happen. So I'll always be out there ready to like drop a little fact or ask a little question about music that comes up in everyday life. Cause it always leads to a good conversation. And like the, maybe the most base level of that is like, I used to, I used to take, transit a lot with my upright bass thousands of little conversations over over the years that i've had about that like say if i did that like 200 trips a year or so or more probably if you consider like round trips as two there's uh, there's got to be like well over a thousand times where somebody has asked me like what i was doing what having the, <laughs> the upright bass on bus or sky train car or whatever and many of those turned out to be fun conversations um as you would expect, I, I don't think a lot of them really turned into like 
I, I got the person's number and became friends with them, but like they still were, <laughs> were really fun. And like it added up to this really fun, curious experience. So that, that's my favorite answer I could give on that is like, just like the serendipity of either start, the serendipity of starting conversations. So either about the music itself that is relevant in that space or like about me tra- traveling somewhere, carrying my stuff or anything like the, the serendipity of those conversations has been my favorite thing that I've always had because I've always been a musician that probably other people don't have as much of, you know? Cool. Well, that's a great answer. And I, I love that for you. It's not like the quintessential stories from the road or, you know, the craziest party you, you ever had though. I did like hearing about your iced coffee experience when you were recording in Quebec a couple years back. That was pretty funny. Maybe you'll tell that sometime here. Um, but yeah, for you, being a musician is a great opportunity to connect with non-musicians, but people who are interested in music. Um, and it's funny that the stand-up bass would be a talking point. I guess it's not a very discreet instrument, in any, even a bass. Like, <laughs> if you were playing, like, a piccolo, you know, you could just stash that in your bag or something, but you're kind of forced to talk about it. And clearly you've gotten good at having those conversations. So <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm an everyday guy. Like I, I draw like my, my baseline of happiness or like how I evaluate, like how I'm doing on like the kind of day to day experiences more so than like the big moments I think I think mm. a lot more in terms of what I like and what I enjoy and what I want more of about like what's really cool that can kind of happen every day that I can do rather than chasing like a big rare moment. So maybe that's related. Maybe that's not. But I thought of that when you said that. Wow. Well, I think that's related to the full picture of William Chernoff that I, I've started to understand. So we'll save that for another conversation sometime. I think it'd be really fun to talk about that. And my final thought, my final thought here is that, you know, if you're looking to spice up your life right now in New West, just go for a walk with your bass. William Chernoff and his upright bass coming to a street corner near you or maybe. Oh, I really want to do it in a park. (laughs) I want to get out in like Grimston Park or Queens Park or something and just like either play by myself or like play with one person. Let's do it. And just see what happens. Yeah. So like as soon as that becomes readily available, I'm there. Cool. I would love a socially distanced jam where everyone's just like 10 meters away from each other, but you can still hear the instruments. Cool. Okay. Well, that was a great, great question. Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, So the next one here. Oh, here's a good one. I don't know who this could be from, but Will, who are some of your greatest non-musical influences, thinkers, writers, or otherwise, that have inspired how you think about music and the music industry? Oh, there's there's so many. Like I I, I don't even <laughs> know where to begin. But maybe I can like say a few different kind of fields or or subjects, and then maybe I'll come up with like a few of the top people in each subject. Yeah. But I definitely like. I've been a fan of, or I've read about certain subjects, like and it's way more than than music, probably. And like a lot of the the good work related discussions I have are like, I feel like that's what I'm bringing because I'm not, I don't have what a lot of my music friends have. They have a lot more experience than me in a lot of things. Like 
most of my music friends and colleagues have taught way more than I have. Like they've taught so many more lessons mm. and they've taught in public schools, which I'll probably never have the opportunity to do. Um, they've, they've performed a lot more than me, you know, like they've done much bigger tours, whereas I've toured predominantly in this province and, and sometimes made one-off trips to other provinces. Some, some of my friends have done serious touring, which I haven't mm -hmm. done yet. Some of my friends have, have made like many recording projects and really promoted it within the industry and like really, uh, delivered it to like a large audience, which, you know, I have a small audience that I'm building brick by brick. So I haven't had that experience yet. So when I'm, when I'm with a lot of my music friends, I feel like I can't really bring that because they, they have, have come so far on that and I still have a long way to go. So I got to bring something else. So mm. what do I bring? Well, let's see how many subjects I, I can come up with here. For sure. One of them is like, um, tech venture capital, Silicon Valley yeah. tech companies, tech business, um, definitely gets a bad rap in some corners of the music, uh, ecosystem and i i totally get that but yeah. yeah i'm not i'm not necessarily talking about any opinions i have about the companies themselves but just kind of the ideas that that flow through that community i pick out the ones that inspire me to build my own career and that i think can either offer a counter perspective to what you might hear in the music industry or will will support something that us artists are already trying to do and like i already mentioned ben Thompson, who, who is one of my favorite tech writers who has been for a long time. Um, there's another guy who he's associated with named John Gruber, who's like, oh, he's been like basically like the best blogger on Apple, like on all things Apple. Oh. He's always talking about everything cool. Apple does and like all their all their products that they've launched over our lifetime or whatever. He's been there. So that's an interesting example of somebody in a niche who always has a fun yeah. thing to say. Other tech writers, there's, oh, recently there's this amazing um thinker and writer named Lee Jin, who has written some wonderful things, like recently came out with this essay talking about like, I think it's called like the case for a universal creative income or something. I read it once and I, I got to go back and, and read it again more deeply, but that came out like this spring. And uh, is it is an interesting takedown of some of the some of the things that are happening now that it's so so much in the zeitgeist that it's all about individual creators and how do you monetize your work and all these kind of buzzwords that's like well what what are the challenges what what might we need to do to solve that um so lee jen is amazing if you haven't read any of any of her work um i'll probably yeah. leave it there for tech because i want to hit some other subjects um cities cities urbanism yes. transit yeah absolutely <laughs> has been with me for a long time probably just as long as music has has always been a, an interest of mine Cause I'm not super into like municipal politics. I have some friends who are like really geek out on municipal politics and I, I don't quite yeah. go that far, but like the city stuff intersects with that quite a bit. So that's yeah. where, that's where we meet. And my favorite cities thinker of all time is this guy named Charles Marone, Chuck Marone. And his, his website is called strong towns. His, his, strong towns, yeah. his foundation. <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, just yeah. Unbelievable <laughs> influence on me. That's been you know, if you talk about investing as this, like I could say investing is another subject, like, and that's, that comes with a lot of baggage, like investing, that could be like stocks or wall street or something like that. But I've learned the most about investing from strong towns by far of anywhere. Like my investment philosophy comes from them and I, I can't do justice. I've, <laughs> I, I have this thing that I think about 
often it never really escapes me but like i'm often like if i'm in a in a group conversation or if i've been at a party or if i've been chatting with people and maybe if i've had a couple of drinks or something and i start going off about strong towns and like how much i love them i always come away feeling like i did <laughs> such a bad job of like describing what they do <laughs> But like I try, so I mean, just go, just go check out Strong Towns, and like it'll, it'll, if you, if you're familiar with like kind of my vibe, it'll, it'll probably remind you of, of me what they say. But basically, if I were to try and do it now, well, there's only coffee in my system. Um, the the Strong Towns thing is based around the idea that we've we've just built so much stuff, like physical stuff, like roads and subdivisions and yeah. things, and we've never thought about whether or not we can afford to like maintain that stuff and pay for that stuff. And hmm. we just keep trucking along and building more stuff. And we still haven't really thought about that properly. So we don't know how we're going to afford all this stuff. And strong towns is like the, the quest to figure out how to solve that problem. And so it's a massive, massive problem, uh, especially in North America. But uh, they, they have my favorite perspective on that. And that is an investment thing. It's a finance thing. It's about, it's about liabilities and and assets and and how they are in the real world. So strong towns, yeah. huge influence. Um, I I got to fly through some other subjects now, probably. But sports is another great one. I've learned oh, I've learned yeah, a lot about music from sports, yeah. uh, for for better and for worse. That's uh that's for sure one of my favorite subjects, especially especially hockey. Not every sport, but definitely hockey. Um, and there's there's a lot of great places I've, I've followed sports, like just all the mainstream stuff like TSN and Sportsnet and the, the Olympics and the Canadian hockey team there and, the, and all the NHL teams and all the, all the podcasts and stuff that's around in the hockey world today. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of business in there too. Now, like there's this, my generation of, of hockey, like super fans is really kind of, they go into the data and they go into the, the story of the numbers, not just the numbers, but the story of the numbers. And so I guess that's what I bring back to music too. It's like, I like the story of the yeah. numbers in music too. And I don't want music to ever feel like just totally numbers driven. I, if, when I'm doing numbers in music, I want it to be story driven as well. And I guess I learned mm. that from, from sports uh, primarily. So that's, that's uh, tech, tech business, um, cities and sports. Yeah, those are those are the big three. Those are those are some of the those are the things that I'm bringing when I'm doing ideas and music for sure. Cool, I I love that, and that that sort of broader contextual perspective is what makes it really interesting for me to work with you and learn about the music industry. Just because I I think prior to working together, I I likely would have been quite myopic about the industry in terms of diagnosing what I may be perceived as problems or opportunities. And so I, I just think it's so useful when you can put something into a larger context and kind of take ideas that help cross pollinate um, in different industries. That kind of leads into actually the next question. <laughs> um, here, just pulling it up here. So this is a fun one, Will, that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, also from Anonymous. Uh, what are the top three things, or maybe top one thing, you'll see how the question goes, that you wish independent artists knew? Answer in the stop, start, continue format. So one thing they should... Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's new? 
Hey, I don't know what that is. Okay, so let me rephrase it. What's one thing independent artists should stop doing? One thing independent artists should start doing and one thing they should continue doing. And you can, just to keep it simple, just you can do one for each, but feel free to, to expand. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, independent artists should stop thinking that there's one game to be played and that they need to learn how to play it because that's absolutely not true. And it could leave you to feel like there really aren't as many opportunities for you as there really are. So like the way to unlock that opportunity is first, just to realize that you do not have to play the game. You don't have to fit the industry game. You don't have to like spend a lot of time learning how to fit mm -hmm. into whatever you perceive as like the way to get out there today. You can take, you can find all kinds of different perspectives on that. And there definitely isn't one size fits all. So that's the stop. Next one is start, right? Um, yeah. It, independent artists should start having a direct audience. Like it's, it blows my mind. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this is not a criticism to these people at all because they're only one step away from solving this problem. But I have friends who have hundreds of thousands of, of streams, maybe millions for all I know, if I'm, you know, you'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. But like, I, I bet you I have friends who have had millions of people listen to their music and they have never like started emailing people regularly and, and kind of keeping in touch with a, a group of people directly. And that just blows my mind because I guess I've I've really gone super hard and on one way of that. Like I, I'm all about yeah. that. And so that's what I think about all the time. But I realize that that's that's still something that for a lot of my friends is like a low hanging fruit that is like ready for them to pick. Like they're already doing such awesome stuff that if they just flip the switch and they start connecting with people in a in a format where those like their their friends and fans are one call away, one text away, one email away. If they haven't done that yet, absolutely, that is is one of the great things to to step out and do next. And and it comes mm. especially in handy if you've if you're if you're following this order, where if you've if you've stopped worrying about how to play the game and then you start connecting with people directly, magic will happen just from that alone. Uh, so those those two things go hand in hand. Uh, and then for the continue. Um, I would say the continue thing, okay, the, oh, the simplest one I could say is just continue, continue reading or listening or however, continue learning, um, continue exploring ideas, um, that, you know, that's for everybody, right? It's, it's pretty, pretty simple thing, but that's, I like that as a loop. If, if it stops starting, continue, I, I'm happy with that, uh. Stop, stop worrying about playing the game. Start connecting with people directly. Continue learning. I, I mean, you know me. You know that's what I would say. Oh, I love it. I know. That's why I asked the question. <laughs> um, but in, in the point about continue reading, listening, learning, that to me seems what you're saying is don't, don't get stuck thinking, again, getting back to the stop, that there's only certain fixed ways of doing things. Like you have to be continually opening opening yourself up to ideas, open to new inputs, new ways of doing things. Like you have to be very nimble in a way. It's like strong ideals loosely held, right? And that's yeah. kind of, for me, coming from the tech world, but also might come from another place. I can't can't really think about that. But um and, and be, be expansive about what you're reading. Don't just stick with certain people or maybe don't even just stick within a certain industry. Like I know 
I, I'm not saying be like Will Chernoff, but you know, what I learned from you, Will, is like, don't limit yourself to an echo chamber if you're trying to learn new ways of doing things. If you have to draw a new map, you know, you kind of have to go off trail and figure it out. Um, oh, well, so I anyways, guess one, yeah. the only caveat I would add is in the continue part, you know, don't just read, like continue, continue to m- continue making your own opinions and continue delivering yeah. them. doesn't have to be publicly or to everybody all the time, but like to some people who you trust and who you care about, like don't make sure it's a two way street, the, that, um, a bunch of what you're, you're exploring is also stuff that you're, you're getting your own takes on and you're able to share those with people in, in some way. Don't lose that too. Cause if you just consume, then you're learning all this cool stuff and you don't, you don't have a way to share it with other people yet. So that's, that's part of the, the continuing to explore too, I guess. Cool. Yeah. Be, be a conscious consumer in, in that sense and formulate your own opinion. I, I think that's really great. And, you know, obviously continue making music, <laughs> continue trying, you know, continue walking the path. So thanks, Will. That, that's another format yeah. I'll ask you sometime. Um, okay. And we got a last, last one here. This one's from Anonymous. This is um, more of a, I guess, a practical question. Um, so how do you claim or verify an existing Spotify artist page? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty easy to do. You go to to Spotify for artists. You go to artists.spotify.com and you click get access in the top right, and then you walk oh. through the steps. But the what actually happens when you do that is on Spotify there are verified profiles, um, and <laughs> then those ones have um, the verified symbol on them, and then all the other profiles that don't have that symbol are are unverified. And all that means is it's like, is there a person behind the curtain, basically? So like, if it's a verified profile, there's somebody behind the curtain. And if it's not verified, there isn't anybody behind the curtain yet. So if you're out there distributing music um, to that profile, you're behind the curtain. Like you you are pushing releases to that. Um, and you you can go on Spotify for Artists and you can see the stats associated with um, how the music um, does on Spotify. But if you haven't connected that yet, the the profile that you've sent stuff to or that your label has sent stuff to or your bandmate has sent stuff to, um, if you haven't like logged in and hooked that up, you can't really see that. You can't really do too much. Like you can't see those stats. You can't uh you can't like pitch to Spotify's editorial. Um maybe you can't like fix or, or customize things on, on your releases as much. So like after you send out music to the world, there's like these hookups that you can do with some of those platforms. Like there's Spotify for artists, there's Apple music for artists, there's Amazon music for artists, there's Deezer for artists. There's like, like whichever services are important for you. There's like the self-serve technology for you to then go and and hook that up and be in control of, of how your music performs on there. Um, and then uh, maybe the motivation behind this question is like, if you don't do that, weird stuff can happen. Like if you don't step in there and say, Hey, this is me. I'm behind the curtain. Like say, say like you put out music, Victoria. And like, I, I distribute it for you and I, I put it out there and there's like Victoria Cowan on Spotify. Right. And I don't, I don't hook it up. Like I don't log in and get access (laughs) for you. And I don't hook it up to, to the dashboard. So then somebody else whose name is Victoria Cowan, who's like a singer songwriter comes along and also distributes music. It, 
it might just land on that page and you might have this jumbled oh, up no. page of stuff. So that's why you step in there and you, you get the access. Now, there can be many Victoria Cowans out there and the, the pages can have the same name and all that stuff, but they'll be different. They'll, they'll be split up appropriately based on who has claimed the access to them, right? So it's not like there's only one name and you have to grab it. But it's yeah. just like if you don't do that, um, it, might, it might get uh, jumbled up. So that's, that's, I, I don't know how much that happens on the other streaming platforms, but it totally happens on, on Spotify. Um, and it can get pretty confusing. So that's why, like, you do that, like, as soon as you have to do it after you put something out, basically. So you put out your mm. first thing ever, and then you go and do that, and you go and claim it. Wow. That's interesting. It sounds like, you know, I, I've had issues getting locked out of Facebook accounts and having to, like, prove identity to get back into the account. And it's interesting that, Spotify from this perspective seems like maybe not quite moving in that direction, like where you have to upload, you know, a driver's license to prove this, this is your account, but certainly there, there's something important to that, you know, making sure that the people that are searching for you are getting the you that they want to find, not a different person. Right. That's really important. Yeah. So. Or not like both like meshed into the same page, <laughs> right? Because that's what that's what can happen oh, here. Is there could there could wow. be like three Victoria Cowans. That's what I'm saying. Whose stuff if nobody if if there's three Victoria Cowans out there and none of you like stake out your page and claim it, all three of your stuff might just get jumbled into the same profile. Oh, and like yeah, that I think speaks for itself as being not ideal. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, thank, I, thanks for that. that. That's useful advice. Well, not a lot of people might know how to do that. Or they might like, it might be like a stressful thing. If like, it's like, oh, it's something I have to do. And it like goes on your to-do list, but like, you don't, you don't know what you have to do there or like what it entails. That can be weird too. I'll make it, I'll expand on this just a little bit more. I think we're just sure. crossing the one hour mark here. So that's good that this is the last one because it tightens it up. I could have, I, I definitely rambled on some of the questions, but like, to expand on that oh, idea great. a little more, just to talk about self-serve music distribution in general. So self-serve music distribution just means anybody can go and sign up for a DistroKid account or whatever and put their music out. Like there's no gatekeeping, there's no approval. If you show up and you pay and you, you submit it and it works, then you can get on the platform, self-serve, right? So self-serve music distribution online basically was started by CD Baby. They were one of the first companies in the space. And so that's why they're still like one of the best known brands. Um, but they were one of the first people to offer that service by like, they would charge you like, say, I'm just making these numbers up. They might've changed over time, but like CD Baby, say they're like, so for 30 bucks, um, we'll, we'll distribute your album. You pay us 30 bucks once at the beginning, we'll distribute it. And then we'll take like 7% of the revenue share for after that. Um, so that anybody who can pay that can do that. So it's self-serve and it's awesome. Cause like, the, the amount of people who could distribute just it got so much easier and it, it opened up so much. You don't have to like be on a label or have a distribution deal or something. Right. But the thing is, like now that this has become so popular, like there's so many people out there who are distributing their own music independently. I've heard this this number thrown around a lot these days. I don't know who has verified it or how true it is, but people are saying that there's 60,000 new songs distributed to Spotify per day. 60,000 per day. Wow. Uh, and so the amount of people who are doing this self-serve music distribution thing is just enormous because like that's not all major label stuff. Those are those are people like me. 
So 60,000 per day. So the it's become such a hot space. There's all this competition to like um, distribute music uh, independently and and to offer that self-service because the demand is so high. There's there's 60,000 of us dropping these tracks that the the service is racing to the bottom. It's becoming totally commodified. So the the cost yeah. to me or to other people of like doing this is dropping and dropping and dropping. Like CD Baby probably won't be able to charge like 30 or 40 bucks for very long because there are other yeah. distributors out there who are offering this at no charge. Now, how do they do that? Well, it's because if the supply is so high, if there's tens of thousands of people like me who are just starting out, the what's the what's the what's the needle in the haystack or what's the diamond in the rough that you could get out of that? Like if you're a major label, if you look at that supply, what you're thinking of is, well, I want to find if I'm Warner Music, I want to find the one person who is like going to be a superstar out of those any given 10,000. So that's where the business model of self-serve music distribution is going. The cost, they're, the charge that they're going to be charging us to do it is going to go to zero. So it's going to be free for us to, to distribute the music, but they're going to collect our data and they're going to sell it to the major labels so that the major labels can see out of all the tens or hundreds of thousands of people who are distributing music independently, who is performing the best? And those labels are going to have the first look at that information. And so they're going to be able to use that data to decide who they're going to offer their next deals to. So it's like deal flow for them. That's where the business model of commodified self-serve music distribution is, is going. There's the charging the artist directly is going to go to zero. And the, the collection of the data and the selling it to the labels so that the labels can sign the best people is going to go up. That's that's going to be how they make their money. So every music distributor is going to be looking to bring in as many people as possible so that they have the most data to flow it up to the labels the best. That's how like the the stock trading financial, the stock trading platforms of today, that's their business model. So like Robinhood is like an app where all the GameStop stuff notwithstanding they're an app where like you can tr you can buy and sell stocks for free, right? There's no previously if you did it through your bank, they would charge you per trade. So like they would they would charge you directly for it. But then that got commodified, it went to zero, and Robinhood makes money by selling information about which stocks you're buying to the big banks. So that they can decide what moves they're going to make. So it's the same thing. Same exact same thing. Well, if you're going to charge zero for something you have to make sure that you have the volume to make it valuable right um and i guess in that sense a volume of users equals uh aggregates amounts of data that can be really valuable to bigger companies so yeah because like if the label if the label signs somebody for a million dollars then the distributor could take like i'm just making this up too they could take like a hundred thousand dollar cut of that signing and that would be worth more than like thousands of that would be like worth a thousand of us all doing it if they charge us directly. Right. So it could work out. Exactly. Yeah. They might make more from that that one star, you know, as opposed to everyone having to pay 30 bucks just to get distributed. So, yeah, that's an interesting evolution. I um, I'll be curious to learn more about that sometime and kind of see that in action. But that Me also too. sounds like the type of thing that is not not maybe backroom talk but you know uh, it's a fascinating thing to consider um distro kid is free correct 
No, they charge annual. So they're kind of on the middle of this sloping oh. down of, of the race to the bottom. So like there's like charging you every time you put something out. That's been done. Now there's like mm -hmm. DistroKid where it's like one annual fee. Put out as much as you like. So you can see how it's getting cheaper and cheaper, right? And then there's some where it literally is like, we're not going to charge you anything, but we'll take 15% commission. So like that's another step down. And then it, it'll keep going. Hmm. Yeah. So everyone's trying to figure out what's what works best for them in terms of a model. Huh? Well, very cool. I had had no idea. So thanks, Will. And I, I like how uh, the question of investments gets gets brought up again. And, you know, we do need to understand these these industries, these other concepts in order to fully and better understand the industries we operate in. Otherwise, we're operating with blinders on. I, I, I seem to think that. Maybe not everyone will agree. And I, I don't think it's useful to be dogmatic. But, you know, just having basic understanding of, of, you know, economics and how finances work will really help people feel empowered in the choices that they do make, you know, about their careers. What, what yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned about it in the way that's been fun for me. And again, there isn't a one way to learn about like you. You yeah. can learn about it to whatever extent is fun for you. Don't if something feels like a slog or it doesn't it just just get a different perspective on it because there's so many perspectives out there and you will find ways to learn about the things you need for your career that are fun for you. Like there is so much content out there, you'll yeah. find it. And and that resonate with you and if you don't find it, you can be the one that creates it, right? <laughs> In a way from your unique perspective. So Neat. Yeah. Okay. I well, just finished well, my coffee, takes... so that was perfect timing. <laughs> That's excellent. You probably saw I had to grab another cup at, at some point, um, you know, in between wrangling Huxley and, and slinging questions. But that was great. That was totally fun. Uh, what did you think? Oh, that was that was awesome. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, everybody who sent in um, questions. And we'll be doing another one of these soon. I don't know exactly what the cadence will be. Um, could be another, could be another month or another two months or something, but we'll put out, put out the shout again. And, you know, maybe in the future we could do it live or some other, there's other interesting ways to do it, but this is, this is a fun way to, to introduce ideas. And Victoria and I work together all the time. So we're always talking about ideas like this and it's, it's fun to, to hear your ideas too. So I'm going to let, um, I'm going to let Victoria offer any other closing thoughts and you can actually, uh, you can plug your website, your business, what you do with me and, and what you do in general, and I'll plug some of the things I do so that anybody who's coming across this for the uh -huh. first time knows all about what we're up to. <laughs> so you can go ahead. You can you can lead off of that if you want. Uh, wow, that's generous. Well, thank you. Well, I will wrap up by saying that, um, it, it, and it probably goes without saying that Will always welcomes questions, comments. So if hearing some of his answers to your questions or the questions of others really, you know, got ideas percolating in your head. Don't feel like you have to do that alone. You know, feel free to w reach out, uh, respond to the email that he would have sent you when he originally requested questions. And that's a great way to keep the conversation going. So thank you so much for your questions and engagement that made this really fun and enjoyable for both of us. Um, in terms of me, I describe myself as a writer, editor, and general strategist. I like discussing ideas, parsing out thoughts, refining and clarifying uh, creative works, 
written works and products, essentially, uh, brands and businesses as well. And I do that under the moniker Wordplay Creative. If you're interested in learning more about me and some of the work that I've done with Will that is featured on the website, uh, you can visit wordplaycreative.ca. And who knows, maybe there's opportunities for me to serve other people in the way that I've been able to help Will. It's been such a pleasure for me, really. (laughs) So thanks, Will. And it always is for me too. And so thanks again to the Bandcamp customers who answered the questions here. And so anybody who wants to learn more about what's going on there can go to williamchernoff.com or find me on Bandcamp at William Chernoff and you'll see what all these people are, are up to. You'll find my releases. You can stream them for free. You can buy them, anything like that. And uh, give me a shout. If you discovered this for the first time, give me, a, give me a reply or an email. Feel free to do that if I answered your question and, and you want to say thanks or you got further thoughts, go ahead and follow up and I'll catch you guys next time. Take care. If you like this podcast, subscribe to get more from wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the chronologically last episode of season one of our podcast. So thank you so much for checking it out. Please go check out the other episodes if you haven't yet. To support us directly, visit patreon.com slash rhythmchanges or click the support us button from rhythmchanges.ca. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Rhythm Changes is a Chernoff Music production.